I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Psalm. We're going to be in Psalm 100 today, taking just a quick break from our series through the book of Hebrews. We'll be back in that whenever it comes to the new year. Now, if you are visiting with us today, typically we work verse by verse through a specific book of the Bible at a time. But of course, today is Thanksgiving Sunday, and I think it's appropriate for us to pause that series and get into a psalm that speaks directly to to our attitude of thanksgiving. So this year has been far from what any of us anticipated it to be, and I don't think any of us would have thought back last year that the year would end up the way that it is. Something that I've experienced this year is uh, just some, some anxiety, okay, some worry in my life that I've never experienced before. I've always heard about panic attacks and anxiety attacks and things like that, but I'm thinking way back to the beginning of whenever uh, all of this happened. One Saturday, my wife and I were actually driving back from Louisiana. It was her grandfather's funeral that weekend. It was a little bit of a heavy time for us, and as we're coming back, our our staff group chat started going about whether or not we're going to meet the next day or not. And that was just a really heavy time thinking through all of that. Of course, you can probably think back to where you were uh, whenever that initial shutdown happened and just the unknown of not knowing what was going to happen next. I think back to just nights sitting in front of the computer editing videos and helping other churches get their services online. And that was just something that we're not used to. And sometimes whenever we are thrown into a position that we're not used to, we can feel anxious. And I don't think that that feeling that I had was out of uh, ingratitude towards God or anything like that. Of course, I knew that he is who he says he is, but there's just some times where some things can weigh on you, right? There's some times that we can experience um, just maybe a fog in our life. So we are going to be talking about a subject today that I think is really, really important, and that is the way that we express our thanksgiving to God. Uh, Earlier this week, our staff sat down and we did a podcast. We do one every two or three weeks or so, and uh, this one was on being thankful in 2020, okay? Now, sometimes you may may hear that and you're immediately thinking about all of maybe the negative things that happened or all of the plans that you had earlier in the year that you weren't able to to go and do. Maybe you had some travel plans. Maybe uh, you even experienced a loss during this year, and we certainly feel for you with that. And express our sorrow with you. But there's been some good things that have happened throughout the year, right? If you are here in the room with us, you're watching online, you still have breath in your lungs, and that is such a gift from God. God doesn't owe us anything, but somehow in our society, we think that life should be a certain way and that certain things should be uh, just readily available for us. And we don't see that a lot in Scripture, but we see that as God who is this all-powerful being who created the heavens, created the earth, created the sunrise, created the beach that we get to see in our community, and it reminds us of his goodness. 
Now, I'm not making light of anyone's circumstances, but I'm saying sometimes we need a new perspective in life to see that God is good. So as we're doing our podcast, we kind of were started joking about things that maybe you joke about at your Thanksgiving table. My mom used to say, tell me one thing that you're thankful for. And of course, somebody is going to point at the macaroni and cheese in front of them and just kind of make light of that and move on. But whenever we get serious about being thankful for what God has given us, we realized how blessed we really are. And I was thinking through some of those things. I'm so thankful for my wife, who is a consistent encouragement to me. For our daughter, y'all, next week she's turning one. I don't even know how that happened. Like, bam, blink of an eye, right? The days are long, the years are short, right? I'm starting to learn that. And, man, I'm, I'm thankful for the blessing of parenthood. That's an incredible thing that uh, I never in a million years would have imagined what that was like. I'm thankful for my parents who are here with me today. They're a consistent uh, piece of encouragement in my life that, uh, that I really need, and I don't think they realize how much that means to me. I'm thankful for my in-laws. Y'all, during the storm, they brought a generator over that I think ended up at some of your houses, okay? You can be thankful for them, right? Okay? Uh, there's so many things that we can be thankful for. I am thankful that I have a pastor who trusts me to fill the pulpit in his absence, okay? Not everybody has that, okay? For me as a staff person, that is an important thing for me. I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Tim and the way that he's mentored me over these last couple of years, uh, and I'm certainly thankful for all of the energy and effort that he has poured into me. I'm thankful for our church staff, for Nathan and Joe and Karen. Y'all know Karen's really in charge around here, right? So if you call the church office, you get her. There's a reason for that. Uh, so she, she keeps us straight and does a good job with that. But one thing that every single one of us can be thankful for today is for Jesus, something we can be thankful for is the fact that we were without hope and God sent his son for us. But we can't miss the fact that if we understand the scriptures and we understand that there's a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God humbled himself to come for us to be born in the form of a baby. Okay, if you think about this, the all-powerful creator of the universe, Jesus did not start his life on Christmas morning. He always was, he always is, he always will be, humbled himself to come in the form of an infant, to grow into a man, to experience every weakness of life that we could. He knew what it was like to have a friend, uh, to lose a friend. He knew what it was like to have all of his followers turn their back on him in his moment of need. He knew what it was like to experience loss. Even as Jesus is on the cross and he looks out and he sees his mother, he says to John, this is your mother. And that shows us that he lost his earthly father as he was living his life. Jesus knows what it's like to experience temptation in every way, shape, and form that we do. He knows what it's like to experience loss in every way that we do. And all throughout the scriptures, it points to the goodness of God through every bit of that. And we can be thankful for the Son of God who did not know sin, who became sin on our behalf. That is what we gather together as a church for. That is what we are collectively thankful for together. So as we get into Psalm 100, this psalm is often one that is thought of as one that is of giving thanks. But oddly enough, this is not in that grouping of scripture. This is actually in a group of Psalms that focus on the kingship of God. And that is really important for us to understand the context of these short five verses that we're going to be looking at today. 
These psalms focus on the the sovereign rule of God and his goodness to his people who have experienced difficult circumstances. Throughout all of those difficult times, they focus on the goodness of God to his people, and they serve as a reminder to us today that we have something to be thankful for even in a year like this. Psalm 100. Join me in reading, starting in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. God, we come before you praising your name for who you are. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You put breath in our lungs. God, every good gift comes from you. And we thank you in this moment that we are able to come together as a local expression of your church to be encouraged and edified. God, today we thank you for sending your son Jesus to come and pay a debt for us that we could never repay. Even if we had our entire lives to pay it off, we could never repay it. So God, today we focus on your glory and our response to it. So God, in these next few moments, I pray that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. God, convict us of where we need to be convicted. And Lord, prick our hearts for what you would have for us in this moment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we get into Psalm 100, you will notice that there are several commands in these short verses. In just four verses, there's seven commands that we're going to be looking at today, and each of them are important. So the first one that we see in the text is to worship from your voice, to worship from your voice. It does not matter what denomination of Christianity that you are a part of. All of, peop- all of the people come together and sing and lift their voices to the Lord. Why is that? because it is a response to what God has done on our behalf. We are brought in and we make a joyful noise to the Lord. Uh, Verse number one says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Now, I love this. There was a uh, sing uh, on a David Crowder album, probably one of the first ones. I was probably 12 or 13 when I'm listening to it. But on a live version, I was talking to Nathan about this the other day. He gets up and he's in his... Georgia accent talking to the people and he's like now in this this joyful noise that just means make a loud noise and of course he makes a joke about them just just shouting but aren't we glad that God doesn't say you have to sing in tune to worship him right we all get to lift our voices to him to express a joyful noise to God because of what he's done on our behalf and if we really think about that of making a joyful or a loud noise to me there's really two pictures that come to my mind One is of a Christmas morning as a child. 
Okay, my parents are here with me. They can they can tell tell you that this story is factual. One year, I saw a movie called That Thing You Do. I've shared this with you before. There was a guy on there playing drums, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, and I wanted to learn how to play the drums. But what did I run into? Sean, I don't know how you do it. You've got to move your hands and your feet at the same time. Y'all, it's hard. Okay, I could never wrap my mind around that, and that was a very short-lived dream, but I remember wanting and longing for a drum set. And I would tell I probably annoyed my parents to death. I'm looking at my, okay, mom says, yes, you did. Okay, thank you. Um, so sure enough, that Christmas morning, I remember walking down the hall, coming into the living room, and under the tree, there was a blue drum set. And y'all, I was so excited about this. I'm sure there was some kind of joyful noise that came out of my mouth. It may have sounded more like a shriek or thankfulness or whatever the case may be, but I was excited about this. But that was a short-lived excitement right? We build things up in our mind for Christmas morning, and then the newness of whatever that thing is wears off. Another aspect of a joyful noise that I think of is pretty unique to our region is, man, in college football. Now, some of the games that were on yesterday were, were a little bit boring, okay, let's be honest, but if you've ever been in a stadium with 100,000 plus people, and you hear the way that it just erupts whenever something good happens, right? Sometimes it could just be a first down or, or a score. It's not even the game. But people just go absolutely crazy about something good that happens. They shout. It is definitely a loud noise. Now, what happens when the team does something not so great? The ball falls on the ground. There's an interception that's thrown. They end up losing to a team that they should beat. Well, that same enthusiasm is switched to this negative way of thinking. They start calling for the coach's job. They're not happy with the players. And if we think about it, how crazy is that that we're mad at college students for not doing something we wanted them to do on a football field, right? We're really messed up. We're working through it. But nevertheless, excitement happens, and excitement goes away very quickly. But whenever this is talking about making a joyful noise to the Lord, there is an element of joy that is not fading. It is something that lasts forever. Because God is always good, he always comes through for us. Now, sometimes we take that and we twist it to say, well, you know, John, I've got a diagnosis I'm working through. That's a very serious thing. That Does that mean that God, yes, God is still good. He is good through all that. We live in a fallen world. I'm sorry that you're going through that circumstance. But somehow we have twisted the words of God to think that if our circumstances are not perfect, that he is not good. And that is a gross misrepresentation of who God is. We have to be able to focus on the fact that he is the creator of heaven and earth, that he is the one who paid for our sin debt that we could never repay. He is the one who welcomes us back into the fold of the sheep. He is the one that we can rely on every single day. So whenever we come together and we make a joyful noise to the Lord, we can come together and we can lift our voices because he is good even when we don't feel like it. He is good even when we're walking through the valley. He is good even whenever we're dealing with loss in our life. We lift our voices together. And even as we study the scripture, 
Y'all, in the sermon last week and the last couple of weeks, we've come across some deep theological concepts about who God is. And that's not just to say, hey, you need to know something up here. It's for us to say how glorious and how incredible is, the, is this omnipotent being who cares for me and who cares for you, who knows your heart better than you know yourself. All of scripture points us towards God. Do you know the Bible's not about you? Your name's not anywhere in it. It points us to Jesus, and his name is on every page. It points us towards him. But as we read it, if we're reading scripture correctly, it serves as a mirror to our souls to bring us near to the Father. First, we worship him through honor and adoration, and then we're called into action. We're called to serve him because he is the one true God. Verse number two, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. In verse two, there's actually two commands here. Serve, serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. Two different commands in one short verse. Some of us have the serving the Lord part down. And if we can just be really honest about that for a second, we've got our little check boxes. We do our spiritual duty. We punch our time clock and we move on. That's not what, the scripture says, it says that we should serve the Lord with gladness. We should serve the Lord out of an overflow of our love for him. We're not just doing things because they're the religious right thing to do. Do you know you can do all of the right things and still be lost? I tell our students this all the time. I don't care how many Wednesday nights that you've been to. I don't care how many summer camps you've been to or disciple nows or how many service days that you've been to. Unless you humble yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus, you're still lost. We have to humble ourselves before a holy God. And when we humble ourselves before him, we are able to serve with gladness because of the gratitude that we have for what he has done on our behalf. And until those things come together, we miss it. Until those things come together, we don't understand what God has done for us. So as we read the scriptures, it should bring us to our knees to the fact that we understand who God is and who we are. So I would ask you first today, are you serving the Lord? Is there something that God has laid on your heart to go and do for the sake of the kingdom of God? And if there is and you're not doing it, why? Because if God's called you to do something, he's going to provide the means and the way for you to do that thing for the kingdom. It's whenever we get things mixed up and we confuse ourselves that we think, oh, I need to go do this because it's something that I want to do rather than something that God wants to do. Now, look, you can deceive yourself into thinking that you're doing something for God, but you're really doing it for yourself. And I want to give you an example of that. The people of Israel wanted a king. We'll come back to this concept later. And God raised up a king and a man named Saul. And Saul got himself into a predicament where the enemy was closing in on him. He was starting to feel anxiety. He was starting to feel panic. And he knew that he needed to do something so that the favor of God would be on his people. So he, instead of waiting on the prophet Samuel to come in and to make a sacrifice, he makes the sacrifice on his own. Remember, he's checking the religious tick box. I've done the right thing. And he even thinks that he's done the right thing. 
But then Samuel arrives and he sets the record straight. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, this will be up on the screen. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Did you catch that? He's saying it's not just about ticking the box. It's about your heart. If God's calling you to serve, we serve with all of our heart as an overflow of what God has done for us. We serve with gladness. Too often we seem to think that God's asking too much of us or we feel like we're not gonna measure up to what he has for us. And those are just voices in the back of our minds speaking against what God has called us to. We serve with gladness. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we see that God loves a cheerful giver. So church, I would remind you that when we're tithing, when we're serving, when we're giving, don't nickel and dime God. Look, I understand if finances can get tied, I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about in this moment. What I'm saying is, and some of y'all are going, I thought this was a Thanksgiving sermon and somehow we're talking about tithing, okay? Look, when we're serving the Lord, we give him our first fruits. We give him our best because he's worth it. I promise you the thing that you see in that Black Friday ad is not as good as God. That thing does not care about you. Your money does not care about you, but God does. He cares for you very, very deeply. And again, we see a third command in this passage to come into his presence with singing. So why do we come into his presence singing? Because we are so overcome with what God has done for us. The newness of salvation should never wear off of a Christian. And if it does, I would tell you that that's probably an indicator in your heart that you're not where you need to be spiritually because that that debt that Jesus paid for us is so, so great that we could never repay it. And we have to be reminded of our own sinfulness to be thankful for what he has done on our behalf. What an incredible thing that God would see us in the shape that we're in. And the scripture saying, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The next command that we see in this passage shows us who God is and who we are. He is the giver of life. He is the creator. He is the one who paid our debt. So when we approach him to worship, we have to worship in humility. We have to worship in humility. Verse number three, know that the Lord He is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So there is a command. Know there is a verb, and it does not mean just knowing something. I can read a book, and I can know a lot of things, and it won't change anything about that subject. Are you with me? This is a knowing through an experience. Through experiencing who God is, we can know who he is. And I'm not talking about something subjective. This was written to a group of people who had seen the faithfulness of God. They were looking to the patriarch Abram, who at one point was an idol worshiper, but God shows up. Abram is blessed by Melchizedek, and he is brought into this covenant from Yahweh, from God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the ancestors of the Israelites, they look to him. 
They know very well their history. They understand that though they were in Egyptian bondage, God appeared to Moses through a burning bush and said, you're going to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. They saw the plagues that happened that were inflicting damage and pain on the Egyptians, but were sparing the Hebrews who were in the land. They saw God's provision through manna and through God leading them through a pillar of fire and through clouds and forgiving them the Ten Commandments and forgiving them the law and bringing them into the promised land to overthrow the people who were already living there who they didn't stand a chance against. They knew that God had delivered their enemies into the palm of their hand. And once they got to a point where they felt some power, they started to look around and say, we want to be like everybody else. What a buildup to a failure. What a buildup for them to understand who God is, to see his might and his power and look around and not be satisfied with it. Are you satisfied with what God has done for you? Are you satisfied with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God? We are a people whose hearts are, de- are deceitful. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that. We have to continually focus on the cross of Jesus because he is worth it. In verse three, there's a picture of us as a people being the sheep in the pasture of God. I think this is incredible because Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. And there's really two aspects in this story that Jesus tells that I really want to zero in on in this moment. And the first is that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and the shepherd knows the sheep. This is really amazing if we think about this, that the creator of heaven and earth knows your name and he knows your wants and your desires and he knows your heart. But the inverse of that is that if we're being guided by a voice that is not God, it's evident to us. We, if we know the voice of God, then we are a part of his sheepfold. And if we don't, we need to be praying and we need to be seeking the Lord and looking for his voice to see that he is leading us through this life, to see that our desires line up with his. And remember, just like Saul was fooled, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we are doing good things in the name of God and in reality are being selfish because our hearts are deceitful. Jesus says, if you are following me, I am your shepherd. And in John chapter 10, there's another picture that Jesus uses of the difference in the good shepherd and the hired hand. Because when the wolves come, when danger comes in, the hired hand leaves because the sheep are not of his own possession because he doesn't care about them as much as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd goes to the point of giving his life to protect his sheep. And we can see how our good shepherd gave his life for us on the cross to pay our sin debt that we could never repay. And if sheep don't submit to the shepherd, they find themselves in danger. So when we rebel against God, when we make decisions that are not focused on him, we can end up paying a severe price for that. But he calmly brings us back into the fold in this beautiful picture of a shepherd. So in our last two verses from our passage today, we'll see a couple more commands, but we're also going to see the reason for all of these commands, a beautiful image of who God is. 
So our last point today is that as we worship, we worship through thanksgiving. We worship together through thanksgiving. And the concept of thinking about the things that we're thankful for has a really powerful way of bringing perspective into our lives. You know, that anxiety, that uncertainty that I was talking about earlier, I don't have the answer to that. I'm not a psychiatrist or whatever uh, the case may be, but I do know that when I focus on the blessings that God has given me, it gives me a new perspective on life. It gives me a new perspective to see the good that he has put in my life. The fact that I can wake up and see the sunrise, or I can go outside and listen to the birds chirping, or I can go down to the beach and I can see the majesty of God on display. I can feel hope knowing that he was the one who set all of those things in motion and that he is still in control. But we need to understand that worship through thanksgiving is immensely powerful in our lives. I saw a tweet this week that I thought was really good. Not many of them are, but this one was. And it said that when we complain to other people, when we vent, that can lead us into weakness. But when we complain to God, it becomes a psalm. I want you to think about that for just a second. Because in the book of Psalms, the most large grouping of writings are psalms of individual lament, of authors writing to God and going, God, the enemy is closing in on me. God, I don't see a way out of this. God, I may never see the light of day again. And over time, if you read through those, every single one of them, the heart of the author is drawn to the Father. And at the end of that psalm, at the end of that author complaining to the Father, his heart is renewed and there's strength in his faith because he cast all of his cares on the one who cares for them. The good shepherd cares for us today. Now let's compare that to what the people of Israel did when they would look around and complain about their circumstances, though they saw all of those incredible things that God did. Remember, the context of the psalm is very important because it's not just talking about gratitude or thankfulness. It's talking about the reason that we're thankful is because God is the king. We sang a song earlier, Jesus Messiah. That word Messiah does not just point to a deliverer, but it points to a king. And here we can see the kingship of God. And when we look around and when we take our eyes off of God, our deceptive hearts can lead us from him. Romans chapter 1 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. When the people of Israel did not worship God with a heart of thanksgiving and worship, their hearts were turned from him and they were poisoned by the ways of the world. And the same is true of us whenever we're not thankful for what God has done. We can be led astray so quickly today And we're so quick to trade 
the immortal, all-powerful God for something that we can see and that we can touch. Because we are living in a fallen world where we can be deceived so, so quickly. So today, I hope that you're not being overcome with the circumstances of life or any anxiety that you may be facing or uncertainty, but that you can focus on the King of kings and the Lord of lords whose kingdom lasts forever. Verse number four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. I love this because as the people of Israel would travel together, they would come to the temple once a year. And as they were walking together, family units and villages would walk together and they would sing Psalms of Ascent. Okay, you can go into the book of Psalms and if it says Song of Ascent, that is one of the hymns that they're singing together as they're walking, as they are looking forward to the time that they can come together with the people of God and worship. I want you to think how incredible that is that they are coming together. They're singing songs about how God is the creator of heaven and earth, about how he is the sustainer, how he is the deliverer, how he is the king of kings. They're singing all of these things as they are walking together. And by the time they get to the temple, it's on. They're here to worship. They're with the people of God. And there is an incredible thing when there is a gathering of believers. That's what the Sunday morning gathering is, y'all the people of God coming together to edify and encourage one another. And look, we don't need Joe or Nathan and the worship team to manufacture some kind of moving of the spirit for us. That's not in the scriptures. I don't believe in that, okay? If there, were, if there was something in the scriptures about that happening, we would be doing it, but there's not. We prepare our hearts throughout the week. We are in the scriptures. We're in prayer. We're bringing our petitions to the Lord. We are singing our songs of personal lament to the Father, knowing that he is good so that when we come together, we can lift up our voices in thanksgiving as the local expression of the church, and it is a beautiful aroma to the Father. Are you seeing what we do here is important? The reason that we come to worship every week is because God is worth it. Because we come together and we sing praises to his name because of who he is, not because of who we are. The power of our worship services doesn't come from anything that we do. The power of our worship service comes from the spirit of God dwelling among his people who show up, who are ready to worship which means we have to prepare our hearts throughout the week, which means we have to be digging into the scriptures, which means we should be praying, which means we should be seeking the Lord. Now, look, don't be all holy on me. I know that sometimes you are running out the door, you're trying to get the kids dressed, and you may get into an argument in the car on the way because you've got to get in by a certain, by a certain time. But look, when you come into the room, you enter his gates with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. We come together to worship, to give thanks, and to bless his holy name. It does not take long for our hearts to lose that. It does not take long for us to lose sight of what God has created us for. You can go back to the first generation of humans. God, I think this is so cool. God created Adam and Eve. He created Adam, he fashioned Eve. They're walking together in the garden with God. I just think that's incredible. God is dwelling among his people in the garden, but then the serpent goes and talks to Eve. Oh, you're missing out on something. If you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. It did not take long for Adam and Eve to lose the gratitude or the thankfulness that they had to be led astray by Satan. 
to look around and see that perfection in the garden. It was a feeling of missing out that led to her deception, and I'm afraid that we have to fight against that today as well. But we have hope through Jesus, through the fact that God the Father sent God the Son to live a perfect life, to overcome sin, to pay the ultimate price, to atone for our sin, to cover the wrath of God for us. And the best part about that is he didn't just die. Three days later, he took up his life because he had the authority to do that. Appeared to hundreds, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he leaves us the helper, the Holy Spirit that we rely on every day. Verse number five. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You can see how... God would communicate to his people through Moses, through Aaron, through the prophets, through the judges. And God was the king of the people. He ruled them in that way. You can go back through the Old Testament and you could see how God would raise up leaders and he would tear them down. But the people of Israel, after dealing with the provision of God to come into the promised land to drive out the inhabitants of the land, though some still remain from their own sinfulness, they took their eyes off, the, off of the Lord. They started to look at the pagan nations around them. They started to want what they had more than the fulfillment of life that they had. And they started to petition Samuel for a king. And Samuel was not happy that they wanted a king, and he brought it to the Lord. And I don't think that we really understand what happened then, because that was a slap in the face to God. It was the people saying, you're not enough. We need a figure that we can look at. We need someone that we can follow. And if we can just be honest, sometimes it's hard for us to understand that too. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that we serve a God because we don't see him every week. You know, we are visual learners. A guy named Neil Postman wrote a book in the 80s. I think it's great. It talks about public discourse and TV and how we think visually and things like that. And sometimes it's so hard for us to separate a person that talks about something from the actual issue. So sometimes for us, whenever we think about Jesus or religion or whatever the case may be, we see an image of a pastor, but we have to look past that to see Jesus. So the Israelites, even without being in a TV age, were struggling with that because they were seeing prophets or they were seeing kings or they were seeing people like Moses and they weren't seeing God. And they said, we need a king. So God raised up Saul. So God raised up David. So God raised up Solomon. And what we understand is that none of them were perfect. None of them were good enough. Every one of them failed. Even the good kings failed because they're human. Even the good kings failed. So what does that mean for us? It means that God is still king. All of these Psalms are pointing to the fact that God is king and he sent us the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, who would deliver us from sin. And we cannot forget that. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So even when the children of Israel failed, even when they turned their hearts from God, he is still faithful to them just like he is faithful to us now. And the same thing is true. Eventually he will turn us over to our own sin if we stop pursuing him. So church, we need to understand that the Lord is good and that he is faithful. 
So with that in mind about the kingship of God, John chapter 19, Jesus goes and he is before Annas and he is before Caiaphas, and then he comes and he has a conversation with Pontius Pilate. And Pilate himself says, I find no fault in this man. He's not done anything that would be worthy of crucifixion or much less punishment. But the Jewish people who followed Jesus from place to place, who saw the incredible things that he did, who saw him give sight to the blind, who saw him go and uh, multiply the food, that saw him do all of the incredible things, they drew a crowd everywhere that he went. Those same people were yelling, crucify him. So Pontius took Jesus and had him beaten, had him a crown of thorns put on him. And then he presents Jesus to the people with the only charge that the religious leaders could give him and say, he's claiming to be a king. And he, Pilate says, here is your king. And the religious leaders who understand the Pentateuch, who understand everything that had happened in the Old Testament, who were historians of the glory of God, looked at them and said, we have no king but Caesar. They turned their back on God as king. They turned their back on God as good. They turned their hearts from God, and they were pursuing the things of the world, and that led them to a place of torment. And they would watch Jesus give his life on the cross, and Jesus in that moment looks out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the kind of God that we serve. Even when we are running away from him, even when we are against him, he looks and he says, Father, forgive them. And we need his grace and we need his mercy today. And that's why we come together. And that's why we make a loud noise. And that's why we sing. And that's why we worship. And that's why we give. And that's why we serve. And we do that with gladness because we have been brought from death to life in Christ. So if you've not put your faith and your trust in Jesus today, I'll be standing right over here after the service is over to my right. Nathan will be here with me. We'd love to pray with you, answer any questions that you have about following Jesus because he is worth it. When your circumstances are tough, he's worth it. When you don't know how you're gonna see the light of day, he is worth it. So why do we worship? Why do we give thanks? Why do we humble ourselves before God? For he is good and his goodness is extended to all generations. If we're controlled by the spirit of God, if we're controlled by the word of God, it will show in the way that we worship not just taking a box and doing the religious things, but we come before him with gladness and with thankfulness because of what he's done for us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Would you bow your head with me? I just wanna ask you a couple questions of self-examination. The worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna sing a chorus of a song. But are you thankful today? Are you genuinely thankful for life, for the blessings that God gives us? Are you thankful for the salvation that you have in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus? Do you serve the Lord out of obligation or do you serve the Lord out of gladness? because he is worth it. Can you picture the power of almighty God as he speaks and creation is formed? 
by the Son through the Spirit, this world that he's created for us? Do you see the good and precious gifts that he's given us? Through life, through family, through the things that we enjoy in this world. I don't know what kind of year that you've had. You may have experienced a great loss, but I want you to know that God is still in control. And we have to understand that our relationship with God is an overflow because of what he has done on our behalf. And we cannot forget what he's done for us because our hearts will be led astray from him.